0: Out and your feet. Amen, amen. Uh well, Pastor Dean, he kicked off a new sermon series entitled Increase. Somebody say increase. And what we learned that uh, increase, uh, four things that Pastor Dean brought out so eloquently was that increase is biblical, increase is seasonal, and increase is generational, and it's also sacrificial. Amen. And uh, I believe that as uh, a believer, part of our inheritance, our covenant package is increase. Can I get an amen? If you are a Bible-believing believer, if you are filled with the Spirit of God and you walk with God, increase is a part of your covenant package. It is your inheritance as a child of God. Amen? But increase is not something that we should just hear about. It's not a concept that we should hear about. It is a truth that should be lived out. Increase. Uh, is something that, that God doesn't want us to hear, a, hear it, uh, us to hear it. He wants us to hear it, apply it, and do it. Because I believe that increase is something God wants to bring, not just financially, but he wants to bring increase spiritually. He wants to bring increase uh, emotionally. He wants to bring increase relationally, mentally, in any other way you can think about. He wants to bring increase in our life. Amen? But if we are to step into our inheritance of increase, On the level, better yet, dimension, somebody say dimension, Dimension. that God has prearranged for us to walk in, we have to evaluate our relationship with God. Because if we have a wrong view of God, we'll have a wrong view of increase. Because the Bible says that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask, think, or imagine according to the power that worketh in us. So, if that power is not working in you, you won't see exceedingly abundantly above all that God can ever do according to what worketh in you. So, if we want to have a better relationship with God's covenant package of increase, we are going to have to evaluate our relationship. We are going to have to see how we view God. Do you see God as a distant God? Are you afraid of God? Do you think God is withholding things from you because you made a mistake? All of this plays a role in how you view God, but what we have to understand is there is nothing that you can earn from God. Jesus paid the price so that everything he has for you, it's not something you earn. It's something you freely receive. Aren't you so grateful you don't got to earn things from God? Because if I had to earn to be a preacher, if I had to earn to have a good man, if I had to earn the things that God had for me, how many knows I would never have it. Because there's a lot of mistakes I made. There's a lot of mistakes you and I made. And when we receive Jesus, when we receive the free gift and the package that comes from receiving the Lord, we have things that are prearranged pre-organized, pre-ordained that you are to walk in. And what we have to do is spend time with his word and his word will, his word will unveil, his word will unfold what already belongs to us. In fact, if you want to increase in what God has for you, there has to be an increase in God's word over you. If you want to see increase in your life, there, let me say it this way. Not only if you want to see increase in your life, you have to have an increase of applying the word, not just hearing the word. When there is an increase of the application of the word of God, there is an increase of what God has for us. And on the same flip side to that, if there's a decrease of you applying God's word, there is going to be a decrease in you experiencing increase. This is why they say I have to decrease so that the Lord can increase. Amen. So we're going to read uh, from second Corinthians chapter three, verses 12 through 18 and we're going to pull our message from verses 18, but for the sake of making sure we have context, I'm going to start at verse 12. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18, we'll pull our subject topic from 18, and then I will read to you our topic. So let's start from verse 12. It says, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of a speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not steadily at the end Uh, So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Some translation calls this the fading fading glory. So uh, just to kind of help you understand what is happening here... Paul is using uh, something that happened in the Old Testament where Moses had spent time with God on Mount Sinai where he got the Ten Commandments where God had made a covenant with Israel. And, And as he was spending time in God's presence, God's presence rubs off on us. So as he spent time in God's presence, the glory of God came on his face and his face began to shine brightly. Now, the moment that Moses was removed from the presence of God, that glory would fade. That's why it's called a fading glory. But so that the children of Israel didn't see the glory that was fading and the children of Israel, I'll get to this in a little bit. They couldn't handle the glory as well. Moses put a veil to cover the glory. How many knows that God don't want you to cover glory? He wants you to release glory. This is why it says in the next verse that, uh, but the minds were blinded. For unto this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because some people read the Old Testament and don't see Jesus in the Old Testament. So because they don't see that Jesus is in Genesis, Exodus, uh, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they don't see that Jesus is our beginning. They don't see Exodus, Jesus is our deliverer. They don't see Deuteronomy, Jesus is our reward. They don't see uh, uh, in Leviticus, Jesus is our sanctuary. They don't see in Numbers, Jesus is our guide. They see Old Testament, but they don't see Jesus in the Old and New. They are uh, blinded because they do not accept who Jesus is. And the same veil remains on some people to to this day who are waiting on the Messiah. We don't need to wait on the Messiah. The Messiah already came. The Messiah came, died, rose, and now he lives inside of you and us. Amen? But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. That word veil Uh, It's it's a covering. We also see veil mentioned in the, the temple where there was a veil between the outer court and the inner court. If there was a veil between our access to God, we had limited access to God because although the law, the Ten Commandments was perfect, it was not perfect in producing perfect Christians. Although the law, although it had glory although it had fading glory in other words it showed us that we were sinners but it didn't show us how to overcome our sin have you ever felt like you were in a sin that you can overcome that you couldn't overcome see if you feel that way and you're living from this place where you have these habitual sins that you can't overcome my question to you is you might still be living on mount sinai when god have a mount zion for you and i'm gonna explain what mount zion is in a minute now, the children of Israel, they were afraid of this, uh, this, this, this glory. In fact, whenever God would speak in the Old Testament, they asked God to stop speaking because his voice terrified them. And even Moses was terrified of God. But, but my, my thing is that I want to say to us, God doesn't want us to be terrified of him. See, religion makes you afraid of God. Worldliness makes you have no fear of God, but godly people have a reverential fear of God. Satan wants you to live in a wrong fear. He wants you to live in no fear, but people who are containers of God's glory live in a reverential fear, meaning I love what God loves and I dislike what God dislikes, but like a good father, I don't have to be a Afraid of him I can come to him and reverence him I have three kids my kids are not afraid of me they respect me they know that I love them but with that love they know that I will also chastise them but with that chastisement that is not punishment it's course correction many of us have a wrong fear and we think God is going to punish us when we come to his presence but when we come to his presence he don't want to punish you he wants to course correct you He's trying to correct you to the prearranged path, the predestined path. He's trying to correct you to the right marriage. He's trying to correct you to the right community. He's not chastising you unto punishment. He already dealt with that when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. The punishment is dealt with. Now he's trying to correct us to the promise, not to the punishment. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. See, wrong fear makes you think that you're punished and and, and he's correcting you to discipline you and to add punishment to you. But the right fear knows that it's not a correction unto punishment. It's a correction unto the promises. Because if you're afraid of God, you won't go to him. If you're afraid of God, you won't go to him when you're struggling with addiction, when you're struggling with sexual addiction, when you're struggling with bondage, when you're struggling with issues, inclinations, and proclivities that, that you don't know how you had but it was passed down from one generation to another generation. And when you are in Christ, the curse is broken off of your life, but you may not be experiencing the freedom in Christ because he broke that curse because you keep calling yourself cursed. In Christ, you're not cursed. What you call a generational curse could just be a generational mon- mindset. A mindset got passed down to you. A curse didn't get passed down to you. Because Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law, he redeemed me from sickness, he redeemed me from death, he redeemed me from hell in the grave, so now I can come into the presence of God as if I never sinned, although I have sinned, but because i 'm coming through the blood of Jesus, God doesn't see me as a sinner, he sees me as a saint, and when he sees me as a saint, he'll begin to cut out the wrong things and cut in the right things, but if you don 't know that you belong in the presence. You'll run from the presence of God and you'll think you're cursed. And I'm here to tell you, you are not cursed if you are a believer. You are blessed. You are highly favored. You are prosperous. God has a plan for your life. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy, stop listening to the lies of the devil. You just need to change your mindset. You need to trust in the Lord and acknowledge him in all your ways and lean not on your own understanding. And as my spiritual father would say, your own stupid understanding. Your own. And, 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 you know, people come up to the prayer line and we want people to always come up to the prayer line. But sometimes people are asking me to pray things away that they can only renew away. Oh, Jesus. I can't pray something away that you have to renew away. I can't pray your anger away. You got to renew that anger away. I-, I can't pray certain things away. You got to renew your mind. The promises of God are yes and amen, but you want something to happen quick and you want something to happen now. And God can give you an instantaneous miracle, but sometimes it's in the process of unrenewing your mind. Eternal qualities are being built into you. So God will use temporal situations that are squeezing us to develop eternal qualities within us. Oh, God, somebody needs to hear that. See, if he gave you the prayer right away, you won't develop the eternal qualities. But if he tells you the answer is yes, and I just need you to follow this process, while you're in the process, those fruits of the Spirit get developed. Self-control gets developed. Patience gets developed. Temperance gets developed. So that way, when you step into the promised land, you have the fruit of the Spirit to keep what God has promised you. But if God gives you something that he promised, and you don't have those eternal qualities, you'll keep losing the very thing he promised to you. That's why you might can't hold on to something good because you haven't developed the DNA of God. You want the promises of God. You also need the DNA of God. It wasn't that God couldn't take the children of Israel to a shorter route to experience the promises of God. He needed to develop them. So once they were in the promised land and no longer reliant upon him to be their manna, they knew how to fight and hunt and get food for themselves. What if you are relying on manna and God is saying it's time to hunt for yourself? Now, our our manna is our daily bread, but there's some things that we are outsourcing to God that God is like, I gave you the responsibility to do that. Can I get an amen? Man, I said all that from the first couple of scriptures. (laughs) Let me finish this. Nevertheless, when... One turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord, where the Word of God, where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, he will illuminate that Word that you planted in your heart. If you don't have the Word planted in your heart, it's hard for the Holy Spirit to illuminate that Word. And a lot of us are stuck in our conscious. See, the thing about why the word is important, because let me just break it down this way. Our conscience is the highest that we know. But the highest that we know can still be wrong and sinful. So when we read the word, it, the word begins to awaken our consciousness. And what we thought we knew, we begin to learn a higher way. Therefore, as we learn a high, see, our consciousness might have said, you know, uh, uh, it's okay to have sex, but it's just okay if if it's with somebody you love. But the word of God says that sex is okay in covenant. See, you might have never knew that. In your consciousness, you thought you were doing the right thing. But when you read the word, he awakens your consciousness unto righteousness. Unto a right relationship, unto a right behavior. Not that behavior makes me save, but behavior helps me get what God has for me, amen? The promises of God are yes and amen, but I also have to align myself up with the behavior to handle the promises of God. So when I read the word, it awakes my consciousness. See, you might have thought that smoking weed was okay because you need peace of mind. But when you read the word of God, you'll read that the Lord says, be sober minded. Don't give place to the devil. And the last time I checked, weed has THC in it. It's a hallucinogenic drug. And God don't want us hallucinating on anything. God wants us to be relying upon him. I know some marijuana people got real mad off that one. You cannabis Christians. It's for my prescription. I need this. Just because it's legal, as you guys heard me say doesn't mean it's morally right. We are getting into a time in the world where there's going to be a lot of sinful things that are legal. And just because it's legal don't mean it's moral. And God, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, I feel God want to shift something today. Just because same-sex marriage is legal don't mean it's morally right. Just because weed is legal don't mean it's morally right. And they're even trying to legalize pedophilia to to a 10 age difference gap. Just because things are legal don't mean it's morally right. God is looking for some believers that know although it may be legal to man, it's immoral to God. And it says, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Somebody say transformed. transformed into the same image, not being transformed into the physical image of Jesus, but being transformed into the eternal qualities of Jesus. And then it says right here, this is where we're going to pull my message topic from. <laughs> So in the art of preaching, they tell you never preach for 20 minutes and then say, here's my message topic. (laughs) So all my scholars, forgive me. (laughs) From glory to glory, just as the spirit of the Lord is being transformed into the image from glory to glory, just as the spirit of the Lord. One translation says ever increasing glory. That's what I want to talk to us today about is ever increasing glory. I'm going to pray real quick. Father, we just thank you. Spirit of the living God, give us ears to hear, heart to receive, eyes to see. I decrease that you may increase in this service. I thank you for your glory, removing all blindness, all deafness. I thank you that your glory will resonate in this place in such a way that it is tangible in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've been in Christian circles or been to church for quite some time, You know, there's a word that we often use, which is glory to the, hey, that was a good sermon to the glory of God. Hey, uh, to the, you know, uh, I want to give God glory. Glory is a frequently used word in Christian circle. We call it (laughs) Christianese. We got our own language, but it's important to know that what, what glory means in the Bible, it's used to describe God's power. It's used to describe God's splendor. It's used to describe God's majesty. Again, I know these are all angelic terms, but it's also used to describe the weightiness of His word. His his glory carries weight. His glory allows me to go into an atmosphere, atmosphere full of sin, full of debauchery, and not be given into that, but change that. His when, when, when I when I have his ever increasing glory, I don't have to be afraid of what is in the world. And all actuality, the world has to be afraid of me because I'm going into the world to change that atmosphere, not become the atmosphere you got to understand what you carry. you got to understand this glory that we have access to. This glory that we have access to is not to just live in this space. It's to be filled up in this space so that we can go out there in the world and bring more people to this space. The glory that God wants you to have access to is so that you can witness on your jobs, so that you can be a representation of his kingdom to your family. It's so that you can carry his glory because his glory is not limited to a building. His glory is not limited to a location. His glory moves wherever we move. When people ask God, where's the kingdom? Jesus said, the kingdom is not over there. The kingdom is within you. Now Mount Sinai, what that represents, it was a fading glory. It was a glory that came on you, but as soon as you got out of the presence of God, it left you. In other words, Mount Sinai represents a glory that came on us but didn't live in us. So we had access to a glory that if I needed to defeat Goliath, I got glory. But as soon as that uh, 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 giant is dead, I don't have glory. <laughs> it, it, it gave us access to glory to do powerful things, which was a shadow of what we can do in Christ. But it wasn't an ever-increasing glory. It was a temporal glory. It was a fading glory. Somebody say a fading glory. Fading glory. And Paul is using 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12-18 through 18, 18 to uh, uh, introduce a discussion of transformation of God that he wanted in the lives of the Corinthian church and in our lives producing a glory that doesn't fade. But this, this uh, fading glory also represents the law. Somebody say the law, the law, the 10 commandments. it, 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 It was a law, which was glorious being that I said earlier, it was perfect, but it wasn't perfect in producing righteousness. In other words, it, it, it was perfect in revealing our sin, but it did not show us, as I mentioned earlier, to overcome our sin, to be the righteousness of Christ. This is why it was a fading glory, uh, 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 and this is why in Christ there is the fullness of glory because righteousness is fulfilled in Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, as I kind of dig a little bit deeper, that word transformation, as I mentioned, uh, is is about being transformed into the image of Christ, and what we have to understand about transformation is you can acquire a tremendous amount of knowledge. you can show up to church every single week whenever the door is open. you can go to every single conference, you can be at every single bible study that does not although all those things are good, that does not equate transformation somebody 's like, dang, I thought I had all those." <laughs> Transformation is when we take and hear the word, apply it, and yield to the Holy Spirit who has shown us how to live out the word in our daily lives. It is impossible to have transformation without a relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus says, I must leave and send you a comforter, an advocate, a standby. He is going to be the one to help you. See, what the thing is, we're trying to get the help of Christ without the help of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word and show you how to apply the word. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the power of God. One way to look at it is, uh, uh, the best analogy I can think of in this moment is if, if, if God said, let there be light, he, he turned. Let me say it this way. The, the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, right? Let's use a light switch electricity. God spoke, let there be light. Jesus turned the switch on. The Holy Spirit is the power behind it all. That's, that's the best I can come with for that one. God's, God, God said, let there be light. Jesus was the one that turned on the switch. The Holy Spirit is the one that illuminates it all. Amen? Amen? Amen. So God called you blessed. God is reconciled all of humanity to Jesus Jesus is the one that gets you right with God. Jesus paid the price. Jesus is on the right hand of the throne making intercessions forever for us. But it's the Holy Spirit that is present with us in our day-to-day lives. This is why we come in the name, this is why we come to the Father in the name of Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to help us. It's the Holy Spirit that is helping us. But we come in the name of Jesus. The reason why the Holy Spirit can help us is because we're coming in the name of Jesus. Now, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you without coming in the name of Jesus, that's not the Holy Spirit. That is a false spirit. That is a fake spirit. Amen? That probably is the, that, That's what I call the spirit of the age. That's humanism. Humanism is mankind to, can be great without God. That is what uh, Satan offered Adam and Eve. Surely you won't be, uh, surely you won't die. You'll be like God. That, That the humanism, the spirit of humanism is I can be great. I can be successful. I can have all that I want apart from God. And the thing about success is you can be successful at all the wrong things. You can have millions of dollars. You can be successful, but still miss your purpose and destiny. In fact, Satan don't mind you being successful as long as you're not in your purpose and destiny. Because it's when you're in your purpose and destiny that can only come from God through Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit that he begins to be impl- unemployed in your life. But when you don't know your purpose and destiny, you allow Satan to still have access to your life. You, you have not fully overcome the, uh, what I call the randomness of life. Because without purpose and destiny, your life is still up for grabs. See, when you have purpose, when you have destiny, when you're clear on what God's called you to do, when you have a vision, you don't have to worry about being self-controlled and temperate because you have a greater ulterior motive. You have a greater purpose to keep you temperate to not make bad decisions. But when you don't know your purpose, your life is up for grabs. You begin to blind experiment. You, you, you allow your curiosity to get you to places that, that you should have trust God's word in. Can I get an amen? So transformation, as I mentioned before, comes from the word of God that we apply and the Holy Spirit that we continue to yield ourselves to. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this, this veil that Moses had over his face, uh, this, this all happened at Mount Sinai. And as I mentioned, Mount Sinai represents an old covenant. It represents God's covenant to Israel. And at Mount Sinai, as I mentioned earlier, Moses, the children of Israel, they were very terrified of God. They had a wrong fear of God. And God doesn't want us to have this wrong fear. So in Hebrews 12, if you have not had a chance to read the book of Hebrews, it is a, the best way I can say, a masterful book at connecting the Old and New Testament together together. Is such a beautiful book to help you see uh, the the spiritual meaning behind some of these words that we see. And in Hebrews 12, it's shadowing a a difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Uh, The writer is saying Mount Sinai was where you were afraid. Mount Sinai was where you hid from God. Mount Sinai was where you refused to hear his word. But then he says in Hebrews 12, we are not in Mount Sinai. We have received an unshakable kingdom. We have received, received an unshakable glory. Before that, it says uh, the things that are shaken are removed so that the things that are unshaken may not be removed. In other words, God allows shaken shakiness to happen into our life to remove the things that should be shaken out of your life and to uh, keep root the things that are unshaken in your life. This is why you don't need to cry when people leave your life. This is why you don't need to cry when things don't work out. Because what if God shook it up a little bit because you weren't All right, let me say it this way. You didn't have the courage to get them out of your life. You didn't have the courage to make the decision. So God, being a loving father, shook some things up because where you needed help with courage, he's like, let me shake this up. And they're going to leave. You're going to have to uh, uh, go through a different door because he's trying to reveal to you that which is shaken needs to be removed. But that which is unshaken should remain. Amen. Amen. So Mount Zion represents an unshakable kingdom. It represents an unshakable glory. Mount Sinai represents a good, glorious uh, uh, kingdom, but it, was, it, it wasn't flawed, at it, meaning the, the law was perfect, but it was flawed at what it can produce in people's life. So, so let me also say it this way. Mountains in the Bible are mentioned frequently because they represent places where people encountered God and significant stories took place. As a result, mountains and hills are mentioned more than 500 times in scriptures because mountains have a historical, a geographical, and a theological and spiritual meaning to them. Amen? When you think about a mountain, it's a place that you journey to go to so that you can encounter something. Amen? So 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 at Mount Sinai they journeyed to have this glorious uh, encounter with God, but it was a limited glory. Mount Zion, which was the epicenter of David's city, it was the place where Solomon built his temple. But it's a metaphor as well as a place where people go to worship. It's a place where spiritually it represents unrestricted access to an unshakable kingdom and an unshakable God because Mount Sinai was mediated by Moses. Mount Zion is mediated by Jesus. See, Mount Sinai was mediated by a flawed man and Mount Sinai was a place where we had to wash our hands, get showbread, bring animals, and then we had to be afraid that we might die if we get too close to the presence of God. But Mount Zion is a place where Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that in Mount Sinai, we offered animals at Mount Zion. We offer our life. Because Christ is now the mediator of a new covenant. He's now a mediator of an ever-increasing glory. This is why uh, 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 Jesus allowed this architectural disaster when he said, I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. What is God saying? I don't want you to live in a temple made by man's hands. I want you to live in a temple made by my hands. So he destroyed this architectural design that we had a fading glory. Meaning we had access to it, we had to go to it, we had to find it in order for it to come on us. But God is saying, I'm going to do away with that temple, and I'm going to create a temple within you. So that way, you don't have to go to a glory that will come on you. You will walk in a glory that lives in you. Meaning it's an ever-increasing glory. Wherever I am, the glory of God can be. Wherever I go, the glory of God follows me. This is why scripture says Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because now we have the source of glory. We have the source of God's splendor, his majesty, his weightiness, and most importantly, and most practically, glory is the manifestation of God's word. So when I spend time with God's word and I speak his word, I'm not speaking things uh, out, frivolously out of uh, into existence. I'm spending time with his word on healing. So when I step into environments of sickness and death, because I can access a glory that is ever increasing. Now I step into atmospheres and I can speak the word of healing because I don't have a glory that I visit. I have a glory that I can live from. Amen. If I see my, my, I'm struggling with lack, or if I'm there's a there's a mindset of 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 poverty, I can spend time with God in His Word and hear about His covenant package and hear about uh, in Deuteronomy that when we hear and obey, there we will eat the good of the land. And now I can come into this natural atmosphere after spending time with God in this spiritual atmosphere, and I can start speaking life over my finances. I can start speaking the provisions of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. So Mount Sinai is symbolic to God's covenant with Israel, and Mount Zion is symbolic to God's new covenant with us. Under Mount Sinai, there was the, uh, let me give you this contrast, under Mount Sinai versus under Mount Zion. Mount Sinai represented that we were righteous by flesh. Mount Zion represented that we are righteous by faith. Mount Sinai represents that we offer animals. Mount Zion represents we offer our life. Mount Sinai represents wrong fear. Mount Zion represents a reverential fear. Mount Sinai represents circumcision of the flesh. Mount Zion represents circumcision of the heart. Mount Sinai was where only certain people can have access to God, Mount Zion is now Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, Greek or Hebrew, we all have access to the glory of God. Oh, y'all missed a place to shout which means you don't need to wait till Sunday to get a word from God. You can go into the presence of God yourself because you have unrestricted access to the glory of God. You don't have to outsource hearing a word to a pastor, to a leader. God can speak to you directly. I don't know if we understand the importance of this. We had to get spoke to God. God spoke to us through a person. God spoke to us through uh, rituals. But now Christ is our ritual. Christ is our sanctuary. So what took a lot of rituals and movements just to get in the presence that I could die from. Now I have unrestricted access to the glory of God, to the angels of God, to heaven's economic system, to the healing power of God, to to the provisions of God. Meaning as a believer, there is no lack in my life when i have the glory of god in my life which means you are always one decision away from stepping into the right place in your life one moment one day one year of obedience can accelerate your 40 years of disobedience What you have brought into your life from years of disobedience, if you would just give God a year, if you would just give God a moment, if you would just give God a second of obedience, he can accelerate you in that one year, which you try to do on your own in those 50 years. God's glory can accelerate the time. How can he accelerate the time? Because God is eternal. God created time. He exists outside of time, which means he can redeem the time. I'm going to say that again. God is eternal. He lives outside of time. He redeemed time or he lives outside of time and he created time and he can redeem the time. That's why uh, uh, when we see a miracle, miracle is simply a temporary suspension of natural laws. God can uh, suspend laws that govern that if you step on water, you're supposed to sink. No, he he can pause time for a little bit so that way when you step on water, you are walking on the word because the word can redeem you the word can help you walk in shaky situations that you're supposed to sink in because he is God so now under Mount Zion we have the privilege to bring the glory of God wherever we go because in any moment any location any situation you and I can be at our jobs we can be in an argument that we just had We can be on the freeway. We can be in a tumultuous season of our life. And we can say, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. And you can summon that glory. You can invoke that glory. Because you don't have to go to the glory. The glory lives inside of you and I. Oh, give God some praise on that one. As I'm coming to a close, I want to talk about the sequence to glory. Yeah, I talked about the glory, but there is a sequence to living and stepping and residing into the glory of God. The number one thing, and I'm going to try to go through these pretty quickly, is salvation. Many people, let me say it this way, everyone is created by God, but not everyone is born of God. All of creation, it comes from God, but all of creation was born into sin, shaped in iniquity because of what Adam and Eve did. So we are all created by God, but we're all born into sin. This is why a new birth has to happen. This is why we got to get born again, because what we were born into doesn't give us access to the glory because we're sinful. This is why we got to accept Jesus Christ, get born again, and now we have access to this glory. And when you step into this glory from that salvation experience, the salvation of God brings the glory of God and the glory of God brings the favor of God. What if I tell you that there's a there's a favor? That God has for your life, that your pedigree, your education, your giftedness, your upbringing, your aristocratic self can't access it. And there's also a glory and a favor that your past, your trauma, your sin, your mistakes can't restrict you from it. You can't access it on your own and you can't lose the access on your own. It is simply because of Jesus Christ, not because my education, not because of my eloquence, not because of my intellect. All those things are important, but there's a favor that comes from God that none of these can purchase that only obedience in the word of God can bring me. And there's a favor that can hit your life. That your past, your mistakes, your divorce, whatever it is, can't restrict you from it. So Satan, the father of lies, want to tell you you messed up. He wants you to have a wrong fear of God. So you keep hiding yourself from God. When it comes to salvation, God doesn't hide himself from us in our sin. In fact, he covers us. If we look at the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't hide hide himself from them. They hid themselves from him. So Satan wants to make you think that God is hiding himself so that you can hide yourself from him. Oh, Jesus, if you can think that God is hiding himself from you, you will begin to hide yourself from him. But God says, where are you, Adam? God is saying, where are you, son? Where are you, daughter? You are called to carry my glory. You are called to abide in the presence of God. You are called to be a world changer. You are called to be a generation curse breaker. You are called to be a millionaire. You are called to bring the presence of God in whatever spheres of influence that you have. So while you think God is hiding himself from you, he's running towards you. I didn't find God. God found me. I didn't find God. God, he was never lost. He found me. He picked me up. He spoke life over me. So if you think God is hiding himself from you, you have a wrong view of God. God is not mad at you. God is not bringing curses on your life. God is not uh, bringing things in your life to get your attention. God, can his goodness leads you to repentance. It says now, now when you sin, there are some natural, inbuilt consequences that will come your way. Let me say it this way: salvation gives me uh, access to His 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 grace, but 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 my poor decision doesn't remove consequences. Let me just put some. Let me put some accountability in here. My sin. Let me say it this way: salvation is a free gift, which means you can't earn it. If it's a free gift. If the grace of God is accessed by faith in Christ and what his works did, not my works, and it's a gift, I can't earn it. Which means as Christians, we have to stop preaching that people can unearn it. And what I mean about it is, I'm not saying that you cannot renounce your faith and give it up. You can can renounce it, but what I'm saying is, it is very hard to unearn something that was freely given to you. Sin may unravel my Uh, uh, life but it won't unravel my relationship with the Lord when we sin and we get disobedient we make bad decisions there are inbuilt consequences that you are going to have to face but it doesn't remove God's love from you it just means you haven't accepted his love completely because when you accept his love uh, his love doesn't make me think how much of sin can I get away with in fact his love makes you think I'm going to overcome every sin that I used to get away with It shifts your paradigm. Number two, the second thing to sequence of glory, and you can play softly for me, is sanctification. Somebody say sanctification. Sanctification. Paul says in Galatians, it pleased God when he separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, sanctification is a separation. It's a set apart so God can reveal himself in you. It's not I'm distancing myself from the world and only staying unto God. It's no, I'm spending time with God so I can evangelize the world. Can I get an amen? It's in sanctification. Let me say it this way. Salvation is instant, but sanctification is a process. Sometimes we're trying to to clean the fish before we catch them. You got to catch the fish, then clean it. Amen. I'm giving you some of my old... uh, (laughs) My own analogies. But sanctification is a process, salvation is instantaneously. And this is why God says, Delight yourself in me, then I'll give you the desires of your heart. What he's saying is, when you spend time in my word, when you spend time with godly people, I'll help you to discern which desires come from me, which desires come from you, and which desires are the world and of the enemy. And then when we have sanctification, It helps us to not always say stuff like this God told me God said and then you say God told you you say God said but there's no fruit that God really said that I'm not saying God is not speaking to you and I'm not saying God didn't say that but if God said it if God told you to do it where is the fruit of glory on it we're not to judge the world but we are to inspect the fruit of Christians amen call me a professional fruit inspector. When you start saying God said, you, 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 when, when, when somebody tells me God said that I'm supposed to uh, 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 shack up with somebody, God said that I'm supposed to do sinful things, it's tough because you might really believe that. And now I, I have to delicately not try to trump what you think God said, but offer a, suggest- a suggestion. Did God really say that? Does that line up with his word? But when we say God said and God did and it's not proof. There's not word. There's not an evidence of his nature in it. You, you put people in a position to where they feel uncomfortable to speak into it. Amen. So if God said it, make sure he did say it. And not, and not say God said it because he gave you a set of instructions that you didn't want to hear before. Can I get an amen? I'm wrapping up. So if we are to continue to grow in the ever-increasing glory, take a deep breath. I'm going to say something that's going to hurt a little bit. Breathe in. Breathe out. As Christians, we have to stop dabbling in divination. As Christians, we have to stop dabbling in divination. You over there trying to get rid of spirits by burning sage, but you're supposed to get rid of spirits by using your authority in Christ Jesus. You over there burning sage about to burn your house down, (laughs) trying to get rid of the spirits. All the spirits got to go. No, pray them spirits away. Anoint your house. Put the blood over every window, every corner. Apply the blood of Jesus. It's the blood that keeps the spirits away, not burning sage. You over there trying to get your mood to be changed by taking mood baths with crystals I just need to alter my mood. I'm just in a bad mood so I'm I'm going to bur- I'm going to, you know, bathe in crystals. You know, you, you don't change your mood by, by applying mood crystals in your life. You change your mood by ch- uh, applying the word of God in your life. I don't man, I, I get all kinds of feelings, all kinds of impulses, and all kinds of moods. I don't act on those. You don't have to act on what you feel. You can choose the right way even though it feels the wrong way. Oh, Jesus, just because it feels right doesn't mean it is right, and just because it feels wrong doesn't mean it is wrong. When you are stepping out of sin, some things that feel wrong is actually right because you're, you're, you're feeding the new man and you're getting rid of the old man. So I'm making sure that my mood is filtered through the word of God, not filtered through mood crystals. Can I get an amen? And just to bring some scriptures into how when we dabble in the divine, how it affects the glory of God. I want us to, as we're closing, Acts 19, Acts 19, Acts 19 verses 19 through 20. It says right here, also, many of those who practice magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them. Keep in mind, this is no social media. This is no Paramount. This is no Hollywood. This is just books that people were dabbling into to practice magic arts. And it says right here, and they counted up the value of them and it totaled to 50,000 pieces of silver. Some commentary suggests that was three to five million dollars worth of books of divination. Which means it points that we are all looking for some kind of power. Oftentimes when people get into the occult, when they start dabbling in divination, that's because they want to get power back over their life. They want to gain control back over their life. But what that is, it's an illusion of power and it's an illusion of control. In fact, when you think you have power and control by practicing in the divination, you actually lose power and control because you forfeit your spirit. You forfeit your covenant rights to something that God never wanted you to forfeit yourself to. And look what it says right here. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and they prevailed. After they burned those magic books, after they distanced themselves from dabbling in the divine, the word of God grew. My charge and my declaration and my encouragement to you is stop dabbling in the divine if you are and start going deeper into the, stop, let me say it this way, stop dabbling in divination and go deeper into the divine. I like how that says better. I'm going to say that again. Stop dabbling with the divine, the divination. (laughs) Just checking to see if y'all paying attention and go deeper in the divine, that (laughs) de-alliteration. Lastly, stand to your feet. If we are going to increase in glory, we're going to have to increase in hearing and obeying the instructions that the Lord has given us. Psalms 32, 8, 9 says, I, the Lord, will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule, which lacks understanding, which must have their mouths held firm with a bit and a bridle. I said it right, baby, (laughs) or else they will not come with you. My question to us, are we stuck in the valley of decisions because God gave us instructions that we don't want to obey? I'm going to say that again. You really need to contemplate on this. Are you stuck in the valley of decisions? Are you stagnant? Are you stuck? Are you keep making the same decisions? Are you going around the same mountain? Because God did give you a set of instructions that you didn't want to hear or obey. God was giving Israel instructions, but they were terrified of his voice because they had a wrong fear. They thought that that fear was a punishment, but God wanted them to have a reverential fear. We don't have to be afraid of the instructions. We don't have to be afraid when God says, let that relationship go. Forgive that person. You don't have to worry about what that's going to happen. You got to trust in the Lord and acknowledge him in all your ways. But when we don't, yield to the instructions, we begin to look for something else to soothe our soul. When we don't want to receive and obey the instructions of the Lord, we will go on fleshly adventure that seems right, but will bring damage to our soul. When the children of Israel didn't want to receive the instructions, they got caught up in orgies and intermarriages. They got caught up in idol worship. They got caught up in things that they probably would have never saw themselves doing because they didn't want to hear the instructions of the Lord. So counterfeit Things to make them feel good was more appealing when God speaks don't look for an alternative Hear and obey when God speaks don't look for a way around it Have the courage to go through it because when God speaks He is not trying to keep things from you. He's trying to bring things to you And I feel like the Lord is speaking in this hour The God God is accelerating things in people's life. God wants to do things in your life that in one generation, it took years to make happen. God is looking for people who are postured at his presence, who are humble and submitted to him to hear his instructions and obey and walk in a greater glory that God will have for us to walk in. My question to you as I finish up and leave you with this final thought The very thing that you think is feeding your soul could be killing you softly because you didn't want to hear the instructions of the Lord. The Bible says there is a way to a man that seems right, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Our way out of destruction is instructions. God wants to instruct us in his word. Hezekiah was restored for 15 years of his life because God gave him a set of instructions. He said, get your house in order and you will be healed and I will add 15 years to your life. I'm declaring right now in the name of Jesus what the enemy stole in your marriage, what the enemy stole in your life, what the enemy has stole in your business, what the enemy has, oh, I hear this, what the enemy has stole in your childhood. Yeah, the enemy had tried to steal things in your childhood. He tried to steal innocence. He, started, he tried to steal trust. And I feel the Lord saying, as you will trust and hear him, he will restore the innocence. He will restore the virtue. He will restore the dignity. He will restore the honor back to your life. And I'm declaring restoration to come over us right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that what the canker worm and the locusts have eaten up, Lord, I declare that you restore. I, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that I'm preaching, preaching to people who want it all back. Whatever the enemy has stolen, whatever he has taken out of our life, I won't double fold. Whatever the enemy has stole, I won't double fold. I won't double for my trouble right now in the name of Jesus. And if I got anybody in belief of that, I just need 10 people to praise God because you believe God is a restorer. He's a restorer. He's a healer. He'll bring it all back. He'll restore what the enemy has stowed. He'll restore what the enemy is trying to keep out of your life. So Father, as I close, I pray that the Father of glory, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation will be upon us. That the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. That we will know the hope that is in our glory. That is in our calling. Excuse me. I pray that Christ in us, the hope of glory will permeate and live in and through us. If you are here as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, as we're standing up still, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, This is a call to salvation. You're not sure where you stand with God. You don't know if you are saved or not. You want to either get saved or rededicate your life back to Christ. I want to invite you to a relationship with Jesus. I want your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If that's you and you are here today, after I dismiss the service, I want you to come right here to this banner where it says, I have decided, and we want to pray with you and for you and place some things in your hand as well. And I also want to pray for anyone in here that needs. A detox from religion because religion produces wrong fear, relationships produce reverential fear. God, I pray that the spirit of religion, I pray that the lies, I pray that, that the deceit, the seduction that they have to earn God's love or perform their way to be used by God will be broken off of their life. I pray that that ever-increasing glory will stay on them, live in and through them as they have eternal and permanent access in this life and the life to come to that glory. And I speak that over them right now in the name of Jesus. And if that's for anybody in here and we all can do it together, let's give God some praise. Go ahead and bless the Lord. Let's seal it with some praise with some thanksgiving. Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.